What did you think as you watched it unfold and then what happened after? I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood is just spineless on mass. And uh, it just, it really felt like, oh, this is a really clear indication that uh, we're not the cool club anymore. Welcome back to the program. It's 8.06 in the morning, and uh, always great to be with you. Thanks for being with me. No, you could be other places, but we, Max and I, appreciate you being here, here on News Talk STL. And one of my favorite people in the world is a colleague here at the station, and you hear him along with Tim Jones on the uh, show, the Afternoon Drive Show, which is a staple. It has to be a staple in your listening uh, stable uh, every uh, Monday through Friday, 336. And that's none other than Chris Arps. That was Jim Carrey talking about the Will Smith uh, episode and his thoughts on it. And Chris, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thank you for joining me. You thought this would be a day of rest, but I wouldn't let you rest, my friend. But thank you for being here. Dr. Tobler, it is always an honor to be on your show. So I am up and at him and ready to do this. One thing I love about conservatives, us conservatives don't feel bad about having disagreements among ourselves. And uh, we we always that that pale of conservatism is wide and deep. And there's different, uh, you know, there's different. It's a little cooler at the top and a little warmer at the no warmer at the top, cooler at the bottom. But we're still all in the pale. And when we take a stance, we have at, at least one traditional pillar on which we stand. And I heard your stance on Will Smith uh, earlier uh, this week, and I was I was fascinated by it because I thought it was uh, you, you courageously defended it. Let's talk about your stance and if it's if it's morphed at all uh, in the following in the wake of the incident. Yeah, it has changed just a little bit. Look, I love my wife dearly. Dr. Tobler, I'm sure that you love your wife dearly as well. And I, it's hard for me to condemn a man who is trying to protect the honor and dignity of his wife. Um, mm-hmm. it might, it hitting, uh, going up on stage and hitting Chris Rock may, not, may have been something that I wouldn't have done. But I can understand Will Smith doing it, and I'm not going to con- condemn him for it. It's probably something I wouldn't have done, but I'm not going to condemn yeah. a man for respecting the honor of his wife like that. I just can't do it. Yeah. What do you say to those that say, wow, there seems to be, at least on the surface of it, some inconsistency about the whole honor thing and, and referring to the chivalrous aspect of it? Because at mm-hmm. some level, there was a chivalrous, there had to be a chivalrous neuron or two or five or ten firing in his brain right um i'm gonna yeah. defend my wife because at first i thought it was funny oh i saw she didn't see it was funny she was hurt by it uh i have to react because that's what that's what guys do for their wives they defend their their wives now i know the woke out there are gonna say and yeah us, us women don't need to be defended <laughs> you know okay let's get by that so i understand that but, but what do you say about those who have said, yeah, this is a guy who, you know, he's defending his wife who wanted to sleep with other guys and he was OK with that. But, you know, uh, you know, do you think there's any credence to that argument? I think it's irrelevant. That's their marriage. They have an open marriage. That's something that they both agree to. We all think it's it's nuts. That's their deal. And it has nothing to do with him protecting the chivalry or protecting his wife and being chivalrous. Yeah. Um, because his wife's being insulted. I I don't see the two being connected. I also don't see the argument where people say, well, he laughed first, and and then he saw her look and and, uh, went up there and slapped Chris Rock. I don't think that doesn't make any difference. So what if he laughed first? 
We've been in oh. plenty. How, how many times have we been in situations with our friends where they made a joke at our expense and it hurt us? But we've laughed it off and played it off because we were among friends. But, you know, inside it hurt. I think it's the same way with Will Smith. I think he laughed at the joke, and then he saw the look of his wife. I think he saw a look of hurt in her face more than disgust. And that just took him over the top, and uh, he took care of business, as I said in my post. Yeah, no, that's good. And, I'm, I'm you know, I, I thought it was really fun to hear the back and forth. And you talked about how. Uh, and it'd be good to get a tally, the latest tally on the comments about your on your social media. You said initially it was like 50-50 sort of with you and again, you. Where are we now? I think it's about the same, Dr. Tobler. I got probably about <laughs> 260 comments. And it is, I would say it's probably about 55-45 uh, in favor of what uh, Will Smith did. It's very close yeah. on the line. But I think a, a lot of people uh, are in favor of it. And what surprised me was there were a lot of, uh, liberal Democratic black women that uh, that were on my side, and many of them said that this is the only time we've ever agreed on anything. But I agree with you on this one. <laughs> that's interesting. Now that that's fascinating, and I think you know it's maybe that's the beginning. That just what you referenced there, liberal black women who agreed with you on this. I'm beginning to see more and more instances where people on the left and people on the right are beginning to say, hey, wait a minute, we have to recognize at some point that, okay, the the common uh, the commonality we share is she deserved defending where we may disagree is how should she be defended? Right. right. And so that leads to the yeah. next question. If if this was a slow motion event. And your dear Becky were next to you in a similar event and you were up for maybe getting an award. Maybe you even knew you were going to get one later. But then someone made just some scathingly rude comment about your wife. But it was slow motion and you had time to think about it. How if you could rewind the tape and advise Will, what would you recommend that he should have done? Or would you well, recommend that, he did the same thing? And that's kind of a reason why I kind of respected um, the decision that Will made to go up there and slap Chris Rock because he had to think about it for a second. He's like, look, I'm at the Oscars. I'm probably going to win the best uh, actor award for this. Do I want to go up here and jeopardize this, my reputation, embarrass my family? I think that went through his mind for a split second, and he just said, yes, defending the honor of my wife is worth it, and I will deal with the consequences afterwards. So what would you have done? What would Chris Arps, who is a deeply sophisticated yeah. gentleman whose analysis I no, I'm, I treasure and value your analysis. I really do on 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 all matters. I really listen very carefully to am you. I, and when you Dr. Dr. so so what would you have am done I, in I, the moment? Am I in this situation? Am I wealthy and a and a famous actor? I would mm -hmm. have done it because I know I wouldn't have went to jail if I'm Chris Arps, average Joe <laughs> citizen. <laughs> and I'm here in St. Louis at some event, and someone is uh, insulting my wife. I'd grin and bear it and walk out or take it. But if I'm a superstar celebrity that's wealthy and know that <laughs> no consequences are probably going to happen to me, I'm going to go up and do what Will Smith did. And I think that figured into his calculation as well. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You diminish yourself, my friend. You, my friend, 
every Thursday morning are on at 5 and 6 and 8, or I don't know the times, on Newsmax. So you're a nationally, uh, uh, nationally syndicated celebrity on the tube now. Come on, don't diminish yourself. No, Dr. Tober, those are just a handful of people that wake up early or can't sleep, and, and oh, can't no, sleep during the night, and they're already, they're already up. Uh, that's what we love about you. And I, I think that's generally true of, of conservatives, I, I, well, except at the various highest levels, especially DJT, you know. They tend not to yeah, blow their own yeah. horn because it's one of those values. It's like, I want you to value me because of what I do, not because of what I say about myself. You know, Chris, one of the things that, I, and I didn't think of it at the moment, but uh, someone suggested to me on the air when we were talking about it uh, on my uh, on my Columbia show, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I would have quietly, after the, after the laughter had subsided, I would have risen taken my arm, my wife in her arm uh, as you would escort your wife to anywhere or your daughter down the aisle or whatever, and I would have quietly mm-hmm. walked out. And I thought, boy, wouldn't yeah. that have been a really powerful statement if he wanted to make one? Wouldn't that have been something? It would have, but I also think that uh, Will Smith was trying to make a statement, too, with, with his action um, of going mm-hmm. up there and slapping Chris Rock is that, look, I've been taking <laughs> a lot of abuse from people for a year about Jada and her uh, infidelity, and this is, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a statement to all of y'all. He wasn't just slapping Chris Rock. I think right. he was slapping a whole lot of other people. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. Let us year. be who we need to be and work through <laughs> exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. Now, and here's another. To other people. Hey, you talk crap about my <laughs> wife, you'll get slapped too, unless you're the rock. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, uh, but here's an interesting experiment, too. I didn't realize the disparity in height between the two of them. It appeared to be pretty formidable. I wonder what would have happened had Chris Rock been Dave Chappelle and laid that line on him. I wonder if uh, if he would have been so generous with the physical outburst. I don't know. I think Will would, I think would, have, yelled, would have yelled, hey, man, that's funny, Chris. That's, that's, that's cool. Man. That's, that's funny. That's a good one, man. That's Keep funny. I think that's, that's, that's what he said. <laughs> I get a kick out of Chappelle. I we enjoy watching his specials. I, I I don't I think I would find him as funny if every other word wasn't an F bomb. I think I would. I, yeah. I don't know, but I think I would. That's the only thing that's think, my only critique of Dave. I think so because Dave he does curse a lot, but Dave Dave Chappelle is very funny. But he his comedy is like intellectual at the same time because it's gonna make you yes. think while you're laughing. Yeah. And that's I think yeah. that's his genius. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bill Barr is the same way. Bill's few, uh, yeah. just full of expletives deleted. But boy, he calls it out on the cultural scene, you know. And I'm wondering, we're hearing about uh, comedy club owners and, and comedians themselves beefing up security and wondering, is any comic safe now? I mean, we've gone from where Don Rickles would just insult. He would have made a much more overt, rude, insulting comment to anyone's wife and did <laughs> uh, and got away with it in the day. But nowadays, man, it's uh, uh, the skin is getting ever thinner, isn't it? Well, I, I think that's kind of an overreaction, not from you, Dr. Tobler, but from these club owners and these comedians who now fear that someone's going to rush yeah. the stage because of some joke yeah. that offends them. I don't think that's going to happen. This was a specific joke aimed at a specific person's wife, and that's the reason why uh, Will took that action. I mean, well, you know, I keep I think about it. You know, there could be a comedian on a stage, and maybe he is uh, – 
focuses on somebody's wife and <laughs> yeah. keeps going and keeps going. And, uh, you know, who knows? But I, I, yeah, I don't lit, you know, yeah. Alcohol removes those filters. Don't you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> now, now, Chris, I don't, I don't know if you've heard from management, but, um, you don't need to show up Monday afternoon to work. I, I, I wanted to give that news to you and I know it's April, Is there a holiday 2nd, not April 1st. Well, you know, we were talking, no, we were talking with Leah Almstead earlier and according to her professor, our audience oh, okay. is only middle-aged white men, and you happen to be a black man the last time I checked, and so I don't think you're any more welcome on this, because, you know, you just don't resonate with our audience, don't you know? And you and Gabe well, just ought not, not show up next week. <laughs> Dr. Tova, I, I, do, I do fit into that middle-aged demographic, though, so I got to <laughs> Hey, speaking of that, um, you're in touch with all kinds of, I think, maybe... A, a broader audience than maybe I am. Okay, as a as an older white guy, um, do you think that there's going to be a turning of the tide more and more towards conservatism among uh, people of color in this in this upcoming uh, midterm, or is that just a hope that us conservatives have? I don't know if there's going to be an upturn uh, to Republicans this cycle. You may have a lot of Democrats that just don't show up. Because they're wow. disgruntled, wow. but I think in the in the coming cycles, I think you're going to see higher and higher black turnout. And what really yeah. inspires me to say that is just the the Candace Owen Blexit movement. I'm not a big fan of Candace Owen, but she really has the millennial. 20-somethings uh -huh. um, really motivated towards the conservative movement, and I think she, she is growing that. Mm -hmm. We're going to see big numbers in the Republican uh, ranks in the coming cycles. I really do believe I'm that. I'm curious. What, what's your critique of Candace Owens? I'm curious. I hadn't heard that before. I'm, I've missed it. Tell me. I, look, I think she's a very intelligent woman. I think she, she is. I think, she, I think her heart is in the right place. I think she's just a flamethrower, and sometimes just being a flamethrower wow. gets you attention, but it also turns mm -hmm. off a lot of people as well. Yeah. I think she turns off as many people as she attracts. I see. Yeah, yeah, because it's a little hyperbolic uh, too much too often. Yeah, I, I hear yeah. where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah, I tell you, though, I remember, <laughs> I, I can't recall who it was, but remember that wonderful, when she really, uh, really kicked back at a senator, when she was giving testimony, and they really insulted her. I thought that was her real moment of fame. I forget what the particular topic was, but she was in congressional mm -hmm. testimony. as either senator or Republican uh, or representative, and I, you know, they were condescending to her, and she called him out on it, and yeah. I thought that was a great moment yeah. of her. So I, I like that when conservatives of any stripe, of any demographic, um, push back against uh, a squad-like talk. You know what I mean? And when they're condescended to, yeah. I think. And that's where I'm glad that Leah got a word in uh, more than edgewise with her professor. I thought that was great. Hey, Chris, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks for being with me. Let's oh, make great. it a regular thing. We'll, we'll talk more often, okay? Sure thing, my friend. Have a great show and have a great weekend. Uh, all right, you too. Thanks so much. There he is, the great Chris Arps, who you can hear every Monday through Friday, 3.30 to, uh, to 6, along with Tim Jones. It's a great show, and I tune in regularly. Uh, when we come back, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to talk with um, uh, 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 Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ascroft, because I'm interested in election integrity this coming cycle. Of course, we have some municipal elections here on the 5th, and this redistricting map, and what a mess that is for him, because there's no map yet. We're only one of, we're the only uh, state in the union that doesn't have redistricting done yet. Secretary of State Jay Ascroft coming up right after this. Welcome back to the program, 826. Thanks for being with me. If you're just joining us, 
Had a great show today. And uh, if you can't catch all the show, you can catch a replay. Oh, well, I guess but Max likes to call it an encore edition yeah, from nine course. to midnight t- tomorrow evening. Uh, and also on the podcast, it'll be up a little later, too. It's always a pleasure to talk to great patriots who are uh, have great records of service. And in our state, one of those is none other than Secretary of State, Missouri's 40th Secretary of State. Jay Ashcroft. How you doing, Secretary Ashcroft? Thanks for being with me. Good morning. I'm doing better than I deserve. Thanks for having me. It's a wonderful morning in Missouri. I first have to ask you if you've been taking, if you have to take sleeping pills because your mind is racing so much as you try to cope with no redistricting yet and the Secretary of State. And we have municipal elections coming up here on Tuesday and we've got uh, people have already filed for Congress and for state office and uh, no districts yet. And there's chaos down there, Jeff City. Your mind must be racing a million miles an hour trying to figure out how to cope with it all. No. I appreciate the thought, but no, it's not that bad. I've always thought that when I took the oath of office, it was my job to worry so the people of the state didn't have to. Uh, we've game-planned what we did would do. You know, Earlier in this year, we game-planned what we would do depending on when a map passed. We even game-planned according to the law what we would do if no map passed. Uh, so what the people of the state really need to know, and I want to encourage them to remember, is there will be an August election for them to choose their primary candidates. There will be a November election where they will choose their congressional critter regardless of when the map happens. Um, no matter whether or not the legislature can get their act together or not, the people of this state will make their decision. We will do it lawfully, um, and they don't have to worry because we are worrying for them. So if candidate A lives in district one, I'm just picking a number yep. and, and then the district the redistricting happens, whether it's by legislative uh, agreement, which is in doubt from what we know now, or by court edict. And then, you know, come uh, May, let's say, theoretically, suddenly they live in district two, but they filed in district one. What, what, what does that mean? How does that all work out? Well, um, luckily, there is a difference between what happens with regard to the state house and the U.S. house. Uh, if you're a member of the Missouri State House of Representatives, you're required to live in the district you live in or, or sorry, that you, you represent or that you're running for, except when there are redistricting going on, there's a grace period for you to move into the district. But with the, mm-hmm. with the United States Congress, you do not have to live in your congressional district. Uh, that's a mm. constitutional thing. Uh, most people mm. prefer to, uh, and most people that run and don't live in a district then move into that district. Uh, but more importantly, what I should mention is uh, there's a misconception that the courts will draw the maps. Um, the, the, the courts do have the authority at certain instances to redraw the state Senate and the state House maps. Uh, Missouri state courts do not have the authority to redraw congressional maps. Uh, the Missouri Supreme Court affirmed that in 2012 in the Pearson case. The Missouri Constitution gives sole authority to draw the maps to the legislature, uh, to the Missouri House and the Missouri Senate. Uh, federal courts have r- drawn the maps before. They did it as recently as 1972 and 1982. Uh, but the United States Supreme Court three times this year has already held that it's too late for federal courts to be redrawing maps or ordering new maps to be redrawn. Uh, so what people need to know is 
The legislature is responsible. They'll redraw the map. But if they do not, we will, according to 2 U.S.C., it's a United States code, we will use last year's maps. Okay, so there, there, at some point there will be certainty if the House and the Senate cannot agree on a consensus map, period. And you'll be able to define what that is in time for the August election. So really nothing to fret about. No, if, if, if the legislature doesn't act, we will continue to use the maps that we used two years ago. Uh, the congressional okay. maps are defined by state statute. And until the legislature passes new maps, that state statute still holds. Okay. Uh, moving, we're talking with Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Moving on to another extremely pivotal, uh, absolutely priority topic. In the wake of all of the doubt and uncertainty and at least a fertile seedbed for election fraud, whether or not we believe it did happen across the fruited plains, uh, what is what is the situation in Missouri in terms of uh, the likelihood that a person's vote will be a valid vote and will not be diluted by an invalid vote? What, where would you put our election integrity, which you are ultimately, I guess, responsible for, um, on on a on a one to ten scale? That is a great question. We have been reviewing the. Uh 2020 election. We've been watching what happened in other states. We've been watching and investigating allegations in other states to see if they apply to the state of Missouri. We have uh, we've found individual acts of vote fraud. We've we've referred those to prosecutors for prosecution. We've we've found because of the Eric system people that voted in Missouri and voted in Florida. So we've reported them to the authorities to be prosecuted. We have found no evidence, none of any sort of systematic vote fraud. So we mm-hmm. feel confident that our 2020 elections in Missouri, I can point to problems outside of Missouri, um, were valid and the people of this state, uh, their votes made the decision. But we're also working with the legislature to make sure that that continues to always be the case and that people can trust it. We're asking the legislature to mandate that all ballots in the state of Missouri be hand-marked paper ballots. So there's no voting machine that could be hacked there because you're doing it with your number two pencil or your 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 ink pen. Uh, no foreign state can in a cyber way affect your vote that way. We are asking for them to go back to a true government issued photo ID. So we people prove who they are before they vote. We're asking uh, for the authority to make it illegal for tabulation equipment be, be connected to the Internet and have the authority to mandate that uh, manufacturers of voting equipment bring their equipment to Missouri and publicly disassemble it. So we can stream it online so the public can come and watch it in person so they can see exactly what's in that equipment, what chips there are, and what chips there aren't. That's the sort of thing we need to do uh, to make sure that people can have faith and trust in elections. And, of course, we ought to have the ability to audit. We audit how your money is spent. It's even more important that your votes are counted correctly. Well, and I have to compliment you, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, because I recently talked to uh, someone from Heritage on my uh, Columbia show, um, and uh, we were talking about their election integrity state scorecard. And Missouri came in 
10th. So in the top 10, you know, 10 in the whole nation, that's uh, that's commendable. And I really think that, uh, you know, that uh, you have obviously a lot to do with that, having been in office for a while now. Um, where are areas that you're looking at to tighten it up even further? There was a lot said of, of well, we heard a lot about in Georgia and other places, uh, the integrity of the election, uh, uh, the, the registration rules and um, how that's really the, the cornerstone of where the whole process of integrity starts. Uh, what are you doing to make sure the roles are clean and avoid, uh, you know, people that have not been here long enough or whatever? Uh, where are we going on that front? Is that pretty tight? Yeah, it, 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 it's getting better. Um, for really, during my administration, we finally moved every local election authority onto our statewide voter registration system. So every election authority could help clean up their roles, even if. Uh, a voter had been in Boone County. It used to be if you were ever in Boone County, you would be on the rolls twice in Missouri because it wasn't part of the statewide voter registration system. We got that fixed. Um, we have asked for legislation that would allow the Secretary of State's office to audit local election authorities. And if they are not cleaning up their roles, that would allow us to withhold funds. Uh, to push them and really force them to clean up those roles. And, of course, I made the decision to join Eric so that we're getting change of address information, we're getting uh, the death records more often, and we're able to see if voters in Missouri are also registered in another state to clean up those roles. But it really requires help from the legislature. I can't mandate it unless they, they pass our election package. And I'd like to point out, you know, some people can say 10th is good, if we would have passed the election reforms that I've been asking for multiple years, Missouri would have been number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is Eric? You've mentioned that a couple times. What is Eric? <clears throat> Eric is um, a, a, a consortium of states uh, that uh, work together to get national change of address information for the post office, that work to get uh, death records from the different states and, and from the Social Security Administration that work to compare voter registration data to look for people that are registered in multiple states so that we can mm-hmm. keep our records clean. It's it's the sort of thing we should be doing. We should be proactive to make sure that our data is correct so it's easy when you go to vote, but it's also hard for someone to cheat and vote twice or vote from address where they don't actually live. Mm-hmm. What about the canard that the uh, people on the left say that, uh, you know, it's racist because of the uh, and not, not necessarily in Missouri, but you hear it over and over again that, uh, you know, registering to vote, uh, you know, it's an access problem and minorities and uh, people in poverty just can't get registered. I, I heard you say on an interview that um, you've actually gone to a nursing home, I think it was, and personally helped someone. How easy or not is that process to to get registered to vote in Missouri? It's very easy. I sometimes jokingly say it'll take you five minutes if you forget your address to do it online. Normally, it'll take about three minutes if you want to do it online. You can do it on a a cell phone, obviously do it on a laptop or a computer. Uh, Our libraries have have voter registration forms. If you go to the DMV and update your address there, we have a system where they automatically take that information and send it to us. So we can review whether or not your your voter registration needs to be updated. And, of course, you can use the federal postcard or the state voter registration system. It's very easy. And one thing that people should know is with the voter photo ID, uh, government-issued photo ID law we want to have, our office would work to get you a photo ID. We would get you those underlying documents if you couldn't 
And if you didn't have that ID when you went to vote, you would still be able to vote a provisional ballot. And we would just verify your identity. And then when it was verified that you were supposed to vote and that you were who you said you were, that ballot would count. It's easy to register. It's easy to vote. We just want to make sure it's really, really hard to cheat. Well, boy, I couldn't uh, couldn't have said it any better because that's what everyone would want to hear you say. And, of course, you put your management where your mouth is, and that's why it's so very, very important that um, people know of your integrity and the office that uh, that you lead, some 200 employees deep, which is uh, quite a quite a challenge. Uh, last, last thing real quickly, um, for those who want to be active in being observers at the polls, uh, we know there was a lot of uh, uh, consternation, again, uh, in the 2020 election that uh, a lot of people in the GOP side said, hey, they were restricted from from properly overseeing and being able to observe the counting of ballots and so forth. I don't know that that becomes a big issue in a municipal or a, or the upcoming midterms, but what kind of access do people who are active and want to be observers uh, through the proper channels, what kind of access can they have? Uh, people can be poll watchers where they see really everything that's going on in the elections process. They can be poll challengers if they think uh, on for good reason that someone shouldn't be allowed to vote. Uh, we would just ask individuals that are interested in that to reach out to their local election authority. They can go to sos.mo.gov to find the contact information for their election authority. They can also reach out to their local party apparatus, their Democrat, Republican, Constitutional, Libertarian, or Green Party Central Committee. We would love to have them take part. We always want more people to be involved. We are supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and it requires people to get involved. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, thanks for getting up on a Saturday morning and being with us. I know you'd like to have some R&R, and we appreciate you giving us some of your private time. We really do. Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, thanks for being with me on the Tolbert Show this morning. Thank you very much. There he is, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. And we did come up 10th, uh, you know, in the Heritage Scorecard, which is pretty tough, rigorous evaluation. So I think we can feel confident that when you vote, uh, your vote will count in Missouri and it will not be diluted by, uh, you know, by illegal votes. So that's uh, he's keeping a a real good close eye on that. When we come back, um, (coughs) we're going to be talking with Kelsey Bolar from Independent Women's Forum about Disney Woke and uh, their thoughts on that, because that's a bunch of women who most of them have families and they're also conservatives. We're going to see where they stand and their latest effort, which is the Women's Bill of Rights, to define clearly that there are real genders, whether or not the left like it. Back with the final segment of the Tobler Show this morning, right after this. Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. I'm, I'm here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child. Um, and and also as a leader. Um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations. And um, I feel a responsibility to speak um, not just for myself, but for them. Well, there is a senior executive at uh, Disney on some video that uh, Chris Rufo at the Manhattan Institute exposed and talking about uh, not only being tolerant of uh, those sexual fluidity issues at the Disney parks, but now with a full-throated agenda 
and uh, it is crazy. To help us unpack that, as well as other cultural issues like the parental rights, a.k.a. don't say gay, Bill, and others, uh, Kelsey Bolar, Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, joins us. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Good morning. It's great to be here. So I thought it was interesting that in that clip we played, the woman says that she has several queer children, a transgender and a pansexual. Now, I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a you know, a medical doc who knows a little bit about genetics and the alleged genetics of, of, of homosexuality and others. It would be highly unlikely that a mom would have that many children with these um, uh, these uh, gender identity issues. Right. So which which seems to me to be evidence of nurture over nature. Uh, and now she's uh, part of the whole movement at Disney to have 50% of the characters, uh, you know, of minorities and LGBTQ. And uh, you're no longer going to take your kid there and be as, uh, boys and girls, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's friends. How do you process that? Help us unpack how that's going to work out well. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a very serious social contagion aspect to this whole gender ideology movement uh, where one student, one friend decides to uh, identify with uh, the opposite sex and then uh, a whole gang of kids goes down that same route. I'm actually uh, in my reporting on this issue, I found there's one family who said uh, there's six children on her block within a half mile radius who now uh, identify as transgender. Uh, so clearly there are not this many transgender children in or people uh, in this country. And the reason that they're all coming out like this is because there is this, there's a very intentional uh, movement that wants to indoctrinate children into erasing biological sex, period. They don't want to acknowledge the inherent differences between men and women. And we know this has very dangerous effects on children. Um, it, as a mom of two very young children, I'm seeing it everywhere. You, you realize it's impossible to avoid. It's in Disney. It, it's, it's already in Disney. If you think this is something that's coming, parents need to know it's already there. That's actually what was revealed that uh, they are intentionally manipulating their programs in order to indoctrinate young children with this ideology when young children watching Disney don't need to be indoctrinated with anything regarding uh, sexuality and gender identity. We need to just let kids be kids. And yet it's in Disney. It's in the classrooms. It's in the sport, the sports that they're playing. It's really, really difficult to escape. And parents need to be more intentional than ever before about what they allow their children to be exposed to. I sympathize with parents with the uphill battle we all face in trying to protect our children from this because you don't want to cut them off from the world. You don't want to say you are never getting a phone period, but it's in all their apps. It's, it's in the programming. It's in the Disney parks. Uh, and, and I think, this week, what happened uh, with Disney and this video uh, of the executive that you just played a clip of really should be a wake up call to parents yeah. uh, that this is serious and it can it can cause really detrimental um, effects on their young children. 
And I don't know if you caught it, but uh, Jeremy Boring over at the Daily Wire said they're going to start launching. They're going to invest $100 million in an alternative, traditionally oriented, kids oriented, uh, uh, you know, subsidiary, basically, to produce uh, family friendly, traditionally uh, oriented films for kids and cartoons. And I think uh, there's a rising tide uh, from the Christian uh, movie uh, genre all the way to, you know, that kind of an effort. And I think that parents are going to have to actively seek out um, outlets that that portray and validate and, you know, really just sort of uh, curate those those very traditional values that are so important. Frankly, it's becoming it's becoming a matter of a of perpetuating the species. <laughs> I mean, you know, we. I hate to be so coarse about it, but I don't think that's an overread on it. Do you? I mean, we've got to start getting back to basics here. I, I don't think it's an overread. It's maintaining truth in 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 a truth that has been a truth since Adam and Eve. Um, and I think what Disney needs to recognize is that I. I I believe they lost quite a few subscriptions to Disney Plus this week. I believe a lot of parents decided they are no longer going to take their young children to Disney. And we've heard about so-called cancel culture and these boycotts with companies that, that people politically disagree with. What's happening with Disney is different. They, this, is, this is not parents boycotting Disney to make a political statement it is parents boycotting Disney out of genuine concern for their children's safety, because that is what gender ideology comes down to. It's sad that the left doesn't want to recognize the really um, horrific outcomes for children who really are trans. And unfortunately we know so many uh, children now teenagers and adults have transitioned, uh, manipulated their bodies, caused irreversible damage, and they can't go back. And what they've realized is these changes didn't address the undermine, uh, underlying issues they had. And a lot of this has to do with mental illness. There's actually a study that just came out uh, that I believe it's something like one in five children are struggling with pretty serious mental illness right now. So there is a mm-hmm. mental illness crisis right now. And this transgender movement is manipulating children and, and yes. even some of their parents into thinking that changing your changing your sex, changing the way you identify with is going to solve that. When in fact, for the vast majority of children who are not actually transgender, it makes the situation worse. Yep. Yep. And, you know, boy, I'm I'm very vocal and very strident about my opinions on this. And I have to tell you, if you think about the way kids are during this very vulnerable age group, this sort of tween age group and, and younger and a little bit older, it's a time when children are insecure. They're trying to find their way, make their mark, find their, the little spotlight to shine on them. Traditionally, that was, uh, you know, wearing a pink on your outfit or having a Nike shoe or maybe even have a streak of blue hair. These days, it's tattoos or a big hole in your earlobe with a donut there, whatever. Those are not things that are life-threatening that are really too permanently altering for the most part. I mean, I guess tattoos all over maybe. But it's it's a way of trying to, you know, gain some expression. And and I, I view this cutting off of breasts altering sexual secondary sexual characteristics akin to female genital mutilation i'm sorry and i think it's i think it's child abuse for parents and doctors to be a part of that in pre-adult decision making and actions that are irreversible i only have a minute what say you 
parents need to realize that schools are affirming children's gender identities behind their backs, which is part of the reason why Florida passed this parents' rights bill that advocates have labeled don't say gay bill and that it couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, Again, parents have to be very intentional. I believe they're in the process of waking up. Uh, But we need to stay on this issue because this is not about politics. This is about our children. This is about their safety, their physical health, and their mental health for years to come. We have to put politics aside and put our children first and wake up the medical community to the harms that they are causing by affirming children within weeks of them deciding, you know, maybe maybe I identify as something differently. Yeah, I agree. And I want to highlight, ladies and gentlemen, I talked with Jennifer Braceris, one of your colleagues at Independent Women's Voice, actually, uh, about uh, the Women's Bill of Rights. That uh, it's, a, it's a proposed bill to clearly define what a woman and what a man and what a boy and what a girl are. And uh, I want people to get onto IWV.org and learn about that. Kelsey, thank you very much for your very hard work on this and your very clear, strident message about this, about truth. Boy, that really hit home as we close the show. Thank you. I really appreciate Appreciate you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Well, that'll wrap it up for uh, this week. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you weren't able to catch all of it, you might want to just uh, listen to News Talk STL tomorrow from 9 to midnight and uh, refer to the podcast as well. Thanks for being with me this week and every week. For Max Foise, I'm Randy Tobler. And remember that your heart and your head need to continually be looking upward because God blesses this country like no other on the planet, and we better continue to fight for it or else we'll lose it. We'll see you next week. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men holy Let